0: God, who created all things, loves humans so much that he's willing to bring himself low to lift us up. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Thanks for joining us on the second episode of our special year-end series, Understanding Christmas. In this series, we're exploring the Christmas event, where the eternal God became a man in what is called the Incarnation. In our last episode, we explored the word incarnation and understood it as becoming flesh or putting on flesh, and we identified the singular event, the incarnation, as the focus of Christmas. Not the birth story of Jesus, not the sweet pillowy angels in the sky, not the cartoony animals. No, it's the incarnation, God putting on flesh, that is the focus of Christmas, in our last episode, we also focused on one aspect of the Incarnation, and it was the fact that the Son of God is the eternal God. Jesus isn't some created being that began to exist at his birth. Jesus has always and will always exist as the eternal God. We focused on this because of a modern assumption that Jesus was a created being rather than the Creator himself. And in order to understand Christmas properly, we need to understand that this little baby born in Bethlehem was God who had put on a human body. Today, we're going to shift to another aspect of the Incarnation, the humility of God. The aspect of the Incarnation where God lowers Himself to be on the human level and lowers Himself further in being condemned to death on a cross as a criminal. And today, the passage from the Bible that will guide us is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in the city of Philippi, the letter commonly called Philippians. In part of this letter, Paul uses Jesus as an example of how the believers in Philippi ought to think. Listen to this from Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now I'm going to paraphrase what we read for clarity. Philippian Christians, you should think like this, because it's how Jesus thought. He was God, but didn't use this for his own advantage. Instead, he did the opposite. He asserted Himself by becoming a servant, that is, being born as a man. And not only that, but He lowered Himself even further by dying on a cross like a criminal. Now with our focus today on the lowering of the Son of God, the humility of God, we're going to think about three things that come out of this passage. First, that the Son of God emptied Himself. Second, that the Son of God became a servant. And third, that the Son of God lowered himself to die a criminal's death. So first we'll discuss this, that the Son of God emptied himself. The initial picture we get in this passage of God the Son is one co-equal and eternal with God the Father and God the Spirit. This unexplainable but true fact of the Trinity, God existing in three eternal persons. And it's from this eternal vantage point that the passage starts. From here, it's almost as if an arrow gets pointed downward for God the Son. While he remains God, he doesn't assert his right as God. He doesn't hold on to his privileges as God, but instead he lets those privileges and rights go. Not as though he loses them, but as though he willingly doesn't exercise them on his own behalf. When we say that the Son of God emptied himself, we're saying that he lowered his privileged status without forsaking his power. Maybe an example could help here. Think of a medieval king in Europe, living in his castle, safe from his enemies, eating the choicest foods, and enjoying life as any king had the right to do. But the king decides, for the sake of others, to put on commoner's clothing, to work in the field, and to cook his own meals. He never ceases to be king, but he lowers his status and identifies with the common people in the kingdom. He doesn't exercise his rights as king, and instead empties himself to live without exercising those rights. Maybe that will help with the picture of Jesus here. It's not that Jesus ceases to be God or loses any of his godly qualities. It's that he chooses to no longer exercise and assert his privileges as God. A great example of this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is being betrayed just before he's sentenced as a criminal. Upon his betrayal, one of the disciples attempts to defend Jesus. And listen to what happens. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Here Jesus expresses the fact that he can appeal to God the Father for anything and it will be granted. And yet, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead of asserting his rights as God, Instead of commanding worship from everyone there, instead of revealing his godly glory to everyone, he freely goes with his captors to be condemned. In the incarnation, the eternal Son of God emptied himself. He didn't hold on to his rights and privileges for himself. Instead, he laid them aside for a greater purpose. Which leads us to our second point that the Son of God became a servant. Again, that passage read like this, that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. In this process of emptying himself, the Son of God added humanity to his identity. He took on a human body. He added the form of man to the form of God. In a word, the Son of God became the God-man, the union of 100% God and 100% man. But notice the context in which this truth is expressed it's not in the glory of adding a human body the context is condescension and servanthood again it's an arrow downward for the son of god he's taking on the body of a lesser created being he's going to get tired and hungry he's going to experience pain and heartache and in all of this he's going to be a servant or a slave Instead of the king in the castle, he's going to be the king-slave working the land in the country. He's still king, but he's lowered himself to servitude. Instead of being served as king, he's going to serve others. Listen to how Jesus describes his service. This is from Matthew chapter 20 as Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, And their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many using his favorite self-reference as the son of man jesus indicates that even though he is the rightful ruler of all He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then he says the culmination of his service, to give his life as a ransom for many, to die, to free people enslaved to sin. Which leads us to perhaps another arrow pointing downward for the Son of God. This is our third point, that the Son of God lowered himself to die a criminal's death the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas was a means to an end. The end was to accomplish salvation for people, to provide a once-for-all sacrifice, to cover people's sins which they were unable to cover themselves. And because this was the primary purpose of the incarnation, we need to see that even after the Son of God humbled himself to become a human, he humbled himself further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. To extend our analogy from earlier, it's as if the medieval king became a king-slave in the country and then subjected himself to false accusations and condemnation as a criminal. It's such a contrast to the king in the castle that it's almost unthinkable. And yet this is what Jesus did. He lowered himself to become a man, and he lowered himself further to receive the condemnation of men. As a servant— He was obedient even to the point of death on the cross as a criminal. The downward arrows for the Son of God are first demonstrated at the Incarnation, the act of God becoming human that we celebrate at Christmas. And here's perhaps the kicker. The Son of God wasn't obligated to become a human servant and to be condemned as a criminal. God is not obligated to anyone but Himself. No, the Son of God humbled Himself, He lowered Himself, and He did it not from obligation but from love. God the Father sent God the Son because of His love for humanity and His desire that everyone would come to faith in Jesus. Listen to this from the Gospel of John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son We should not only think about the eternal Creator God, the Logos, the Word, becoming flesh, but we should also think about this God humbling Himself and attaching Himself to a lower status. We should think about the Son of God emptying Himself of rights and privileges, becoming a servant, and ultimately dying a criminal's death. Arrows pointing downward so that He could go low enough to lift. Low enough to lift the sinner from his deathly state. Low enough for you and low enough for me. As we seek to understand Christmas, we need to understand this. God brought himself low. We'll see you Monday as we consider another aspect of the Incarnation in our special series, Understanding Christmas. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Are you enjoying the podcast? One of the best ways for this show to grow is for you to share it with a friend. Will you do that today? We'd love to help more people understand the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022